This is One Ogden. I'm John Miles. Matt Miles is a political science professor at BYU-Idaho and the author of Religious Identity and U.S. Politics. He's also my brother. So I wanted to talk to him about this week's debate between Senator Mike Lee and challenger Evan McMullen. So just from a fan of political theater perspective, I want to talk about what moments in the debate stood out to you. So I think like broadly, I would say like clearly um, Mike Lee is a better debater. He's more polished. He's done it before. He has like these one liners prepared the project in the minds of people right? thing like I didn't vote for Trump in a trailer or whatever, like the Dr. Seuss sort of stuff that he had. And I would yeah. not vote in a boat. I would not vote with a goat here or there. I would not vote for Trump and stuff like that. There was something like that. Mm-hmm. And um, he clearly had something prepared well in advance for the attack about January 6th, right? Where he's just, that's a lie. That's a lie. And just vehemently saying it's a lie without actually saying anything of substance. So he was really polished and ready for like those sorts of attacks. So I would say those are the big moments for Mike Lee that stand out. Well, and that was really the one that that hit me was just the way he responded to that was so well crafted where he kind of said, I was investigating rumors of these this plot about false electors. And so that's, you know, that needed to happen. And it was this really clever conflation of the 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 false elector scheme was a trump scheme and that's not what what mike lee was investigating you know but he really blended that together very well in the days leading up to january 6th when the votes were going to be open and counted i had a job to do there were rumors circulating suggesting that some states were considering switching out their slates of electors if that were true i would need to know about it I did research on that. I made phone calls to figure out whether the rumors were true. The rumors were false. On that basis, I voted to certify the results of the election. Yeah. And, you know, if you go to Evan McMullen's uh, Twitter feed, he lays out in great detail all of the things that Mike Lee did. And it was clear that Mike Lee had paid attention to that and was ready to say to deny every single thing there. But it's not like the news media hasn't given Mike Lee a chance to explain that. And it's not like Evan McMullen wasn't giving him a chance to explain that. Mike Lee doesn't want to explain that. And so he just chooses the angry deny and the like, you, how you owe me an apology. You're such a mean person. Those are liberal talking points without actually defending it. What did you think of the crowd's response to all of that? So every professional campaign has paid staff and volunteers that come to the debates specifically to cheer at certain times. And it was clear that Mike Lee had a crowd there designed to cheer at specific moments that was like rehearsed and choreographed. What is is the point of that? Doug Wright makes this point of saying, we have this audience here, but we've asked them not to cheer. Like, what's the point of an audience that can't cheer except for the beginning and the end? Well... I mean, it's it's theater, right? You want to have a crowd there. It actually helps the candidates if you're just standing in a studio with no one to respond to. It's a really hard debate. Um, and so that's actually where you can tell the difference between a, a seasoned debater and a newbie like Evan McMullen. Evan McMullen was responding to the crowd and forgot who his audience was a lot of times. Mm-hmm. Mike Lee clearly had in mind at all times who his audience was what was theater, what was rehearsed, what was not. 
And almost everything Mike Lee did was intended to kind of throw Evan McMullen off and get him, get McMullen to stop talking to the audience, which is the television audience. Yeah, that was the thing I noticed a lot is Lee was able to, when Lee would speak back, you know, while McMullen was in the middle of talking, Lee would say something quietly to McMullen that would trip him up and he would start responding to that. You're absolutely right. Yeah. And, and along with that, if you watched, whenever Evan McMullen was talking, Mike Lee would step away from his podium to the side and stare at um, Evan McMullen with a big smile on his face. And then when Evan McMullen said something that Mike Lee wanted to re- rebut, he would make a motion to the moderator and then go right back. Whereas Evan McMullen, he would just talk and then Mike Lee would maybe interrupt him or something like that. And he would respond to Mike Lee, but he never indicated to the moderator, I need a rebuttal at this. So there was a time when they were talking about abortion where Mike Lee was attacking Evan McMullen on abortion. And Evan McMullen is saying to the effect of, I would like some time on this, but he doesn't signal in the right way. So Doug Wright doesn't see that. And he just moves on. It's like, Mike Lee knew exactly how to do what he needed to do to get Doug Wright's attention to get more time while he's debating and to distract Evan McMullen and get him off of message. So so Mike Lee was clearly the more polished person, knew what to do, knew how to handle it. It wasn't his first time. Created the theater, created the atmosphere that he needed. And Evan McMullen was clearly out of his... Like I've seen Evan McMullen on other shows and listened to him on other podcasts. He does a much better job of communicating in those other forums than he did in the debate. Yeah, I mean, he did he did have his prepared things. I think that some of what he was saying about stealing the election, I think a little bit of that was prepared and maybe didn't go across as well as he wanted it to. And I think that his constitution as a prop thing was something he was ready to jump on. How do you think Lee did in responding to all that? Um, I think Lee was prepared for all of those things. So again, it was sort of canned responses. I I think actually McMullen did a really good job. So if I'm Evan McMullen, I I have in mind who my audience is and what I need to prove to them. And McMullen's task is to prove to Utahns that he's like he's like there's anger on both sides and I want to be somewhere in the middle. And I think it to show in the debate that he wasn't going to get engaged in the fight. So he had to on everything show a moderate stance, uh, both sides kind of stance. Uh, you're not going to put me in the box kind of stance. And I think he did a really good job of that. So if you think about political theater we're used to, McMullen can't play that game. Evan McMullen had him different. And I think he succeeded in showing that he's something different. I'll just say something else about Doug Wright as a moderator. I think mm. that he handled the debate and the crowd very poorly. He spent as much time telling the crowd that they were wasting time by cheering his whole speech about that would waste as much time as the crowd cheering itself. Right. So, and I know he has to come off as like nonpartisan, right? But I would say, I would have said something to the crowd like the, the very first time when that cheering started, I would have said, just to the television viewing audience, you should be aware that everyone in this crowd has agreed that they're not going to make any noise and cheer. And so when you hear people cheering for one side or the other, that tells you something about the supporters of that candidate. And then mm-hmm. I would do my best as a moderator to just ignore them in the future. He, he, it's loud in that room. The cheering is loud in that room. But you could, just like they turned off the mics to Evan, to McMullen and Lee, they could have dampened out the noise of the cheering if they wanted to. And he could have just ignored it like it wasn't there. Yeah, I agree, except for I'm not sure that McMullen would have been able to do that. He's Every time, you know, there were the boos or the cheers, he would get sort of caught up by that and stop and let it all happen, you know, so. 
Yeah. Well, so that's just being a novice, right? Like, yeah, right. And I, I say you just talk over it. And, and there's plenty of times on these national debate stages, you can tell that the moderators are ignoring the crowd and they're just asking the questions because you'll hear the candidates on stage can't even hear the question. And they'll say, could you repeat the, that question? I didn't hear what you were saying. But they're not interacting with the crowd all the time. They just say at the beginning, the crowd knows to be quiet and then they ignore the crowd from then on. And then the crowd's not a part of it. Yeah, and maybe I missed it, but I think that Lee clearly made the point that McMullen was not running on policy, and I don't think that, that McMullen was really able to counter that effectively. Well, so big picture, you have to think about who their audiences are. Mike Lee comes in as the Republican candidate in the state of Utah with approval ratings that are at or lower than Joe Biden's approval ratings in the country. So he's not a popular incumbent. So who's Mike Lee talking to in this debate? There's the Mike Lee voters that are going to vote for him no matter what. So they're not his target audience. His target audience is that 12% of undecided voters that the Deseret News poll says are moderate Republicans. I call them Mitt Romney Republicans. So both of them are trying to both persuade the Romney Republicans while at the same time not um, making the base mad, which is a harder task for McMullen because his base is Democrats, independents, Utah United Party, and the Romney Republicans. So I would say in that sense, Evan McMullen did a really good job because he had to convince Romney Republicans that he's going to be like Mitt Romney while not alienating the Democrats and getting them to still turn out to vote for him. So I think McMullen had a harder task in that sense, but I think he did a really good job of accomplishing that. You can't be firm on policy when you have such a broad base that you're trying to appeal to. I say Mike Lee actually didn't do as good a job on that as he might have. His job is to fire up that base and get them angry enough and upset enough that they're going to turn out to vote for him over Evan McMullen. And his whole politics has been fear, right? Democrats, Democrats, Democrats. And he tried to do that. He tried to be like, we need a Republican Senate in order to stop Joe Biden. But that's hard to do when you don't have an opponent who's a Democrat. And his one attempt where he's like trying to say, well, McMullen, you voted for Biden, so you're just like Biden. McMullen says, well, you voted for me. So it like uh, neutralized that effect, right? And so I think Evan McMullen accomplished his task of showing Utahns, I can be like Mitt Romney without having an R next to my name. Is there really any good way to gauge whether this swayed anybody, whether any of those Romney people, you know, moved one way or the other no it's the the polls in the state of utah are so slow it takes so long i'm guessing you haven't had a chance to to watch all of the news coverage like you like to do you know watch each network <laughs> cover things differently do you have any kind of guess about what you think you might see as you watch different networks cover the debates so i have to be honest i watch a lot of local news and um, so I don't watch Channel 2. What is that? The CBS affiliate? So I do watch Channel 4 and I watch KSL and then I watch PBS. Oh, I do watch Channel 2 in the morning. I watch them. And I, I don't see any media bias in the local news in Utah. Because Utah is fairly homogenous as a state. There's not a lot of like reason for them to go one way or the other. They can kind of say right in the middle. KSL's news coverage of the bait focused like completely on this rating system from University of Utah about like whether there was like good dialogue or something like that. 
And then the rest of it, you don't see anything where they're like talking about who won, who lost, or any of this, like, what are the good points and the bad points? It's all pretty like vanilla, like basic. Well, yeah, and you'd never see them pointing out like where somebody was inconsistent or something like that. Right. Is that is that just I guess not supposed to be the the role of the news? <laughs> is that the politician's job to call that out? It's a function of the local news. Like local news in Utah has to be really they're walking a very fine line, right? Basically between Mitt Romney and Mike Lee. And sure, there's probably some other people in Utah that have other perspectives than that, but that's not who's watching network news. And so network news has to be very cautious to appear like not at all partisan, not at all ideological, which in any other place would appear like you're not doing your job as a news outlet. But I think I think that the local news's job is to cover local news and um, and make sure people are aware of what's happening. And if people care about the debates, they should go watch them themselves online. Hmm. Yeah, that's fair. Okay, so I do want to talk about polling because, I mean, that's your your field of expertise. And I think that a lot of people are watching the polls in the McMullen-Lee race pretty closely right now. And like you're saying, you know, there's this sort of delay in, in how that how those numbers even get to us. So I'm just curious how you go about paying attention to that stuff. And I mean, if you even do pay attention to polling at this point in the race, well, and then if, if there's any other kind of data that you have access to that, you know, the general public doesn't have access to. Yeah, I don't have access to anything that Everything I look at, anyone else could look at, too. Um, I like to get down into the nitty-gritty raw data. And unfortunately, you don't get that from a polling outfit until two years later. So I can go back to 2020 and look at their polls now. But like for a news cycle, that doesn't matter. So I don't. I put up this link for you, the 538 stuff. So I'll just use this to sort of show you. Like there are only a handful. There's really only two polling companies in Utah that I would even trust, that I would call nonpartisan, non-ideological. And that's Dan Jones and Associates, and then this other group called Y2 Analytics. Those, I trust them because they are academics trying to get right answers. If you look at the other polls out here, this one is put Utah First Super PAC paid for that. This one is paid for by a poll served by the Democratic Party. You have these other ones that are paid for by like super PACs and parties. And so those polls, they're going to release those polls, but you can tell by those polls and the responses that they get, like who paid for it, right? What a shock that per, put Utah first super PAC shows McMullen with a huge lead. And right. then this other one paid for by Republicans shows Lee with a big lead, right? So those, those polls, I put no trust in those. So there's only two polls that I trust. That's the Dan Jones and then the Y2 Analytics. And now I'll tell you the problems with those two. So, so Dan Jones, uh, in the last election that they did, underestimated the, the final result by about 10%. They predicted Trump would do 10% worse than what he actually did in Utah. Y2 Analytics had the same problem. They predicted that Trump would get 10% less than what he actually got in Utah. That was in the 2020 election. And a lot of that is because of how they conduct their polls. They do these live phone polls. Mm. So th there's a couple of challenges just with the polling industry altogether right now. The first is that the, the, the gold standard for survey research has always been call people on the telephone and ask them questions. But 
who answers the telephone anymore? It's going to be like people that are like age 50 and older, right? Especially if you don't know who it is on caller ID, like who just picks up a random number? That, yeah. no, no, right. So, so that's one problem is like the people answering them, those surveys are old people. And so then they say, okay, now we have to try and weight this, right? Let's try and make this, these responses look like the general population. But it's hard to do when you don't get responses from younger people. Then the other challenge that they have is ever since 2016, Trump supporters don't trust polls, don't trust the news, don't trust any of that stuff. And so they won't take surveys. So, so, what, so what you're mostly getting with a lot of these survey groups is you're getting old people who answer phones who are not hardcore Trump supporters. And so it makes it really hard. And you also get people that are very interested in politics. So most of these polls have, have a hard time like getting any kind of accuracy. So if Utah was a swing state uh, in presidential races, or if Utah was like a state that flipped back and forth a lot, you would see like the parties and candidates dumping more money into survey research here, and it would get a little bit better. Like Y2 Analytics is really good in Arizona. They were only off by like one in Arizona. So in those in those like states where there's more active competitive races, you'll get better polls. But Utah, unfortunately, isn't usually competitive. So the surveys just don't tell you that much about like what's actually going to happen in the race. Well, yeah, and I just wanted to to make sure I got this right. Dan Jones is a smaller firm that reports on utah races and then 538 aggregates you know all of these small firms into this larger in these larger models is that right yeah that's right and so then they they'll like weight them right they'll be like this is a good poll this is a bad poll so we'll give the good polls higher weights and the bad polls lower weights and we'll try and figure out what's happening in utah but when you're mixing good and bad together and trying to use statistics to weight it you don't get very good stuff so and we don't have very many of these um groups like dan jones in utah because we're not a very politically exciting area right we can't really right. support so more pollsters you're right dan jones has been around at least 50 years and if the salt lake tribune or the desert news or any news agency wants a poll they typically go right to dan jones but y2 analytics is a newer one with people from byu that started it and they do like other sorts of polling and so they're building a name for themselves, too. So I would say there's two reputable survey research groups in the state of Utah, mm. but they're not doing a lot of polling in the state of Utah. Well, and I feel like just as a consumer of this, a more casual consumer, um, you know, I'm aware of 538. I'm not aware of Dan Jones. And when I read coverage in the news, I'm used to at least checking for, you know, who paid for the polling. But it seems like I sort of need to look for who the actual pollsters were because. Yeah. And so whenever I want to know what's going on in the state of Utah, I look to those two sources for polls, the Hinckley Institute at university of Utah. They often mm -hmm. cooperate with Dan Jones to do their poll. So you've got the Hinckley Institute at university of Utah. You've got Y2 analytics sort of affiliated with BYU. And those are the two kind of, I would say good academic nonpartisan polling groups. And, the other thing you were talking about is sort of the timeliness of it. And uh, so you're saying that 
these groups will do these things, but it's it's groups that are working for campaigns who are getting their their polls, you know, released more quickly. They're trying to push this narrative, I suppose, or whatever. But anyway, um, these people doing high quality analytics and polling, that information is not necessarily getting to you at the time, you know, when the voters need it. Is that what you're saying? Uh, I'd say like this. It takes a long time to do a good poll. Um, and so the ones that are the really quick and easy ones are the bad polls. And they have a small sample size and they're of what they call likely voters. And they're just taking the, the voter registration list and calling all of the people that vote a lot and asking them questions really fast. And that's not good research. Um, so what will happen is like the Deseret News will say, hey, let's pay for a, we want to do stories, a bunch of stories about this race. Let's field a survey that's going to give us a lot of news stories for, let's say, two, two or three weeks. Mm -hmm. And so they'll pay Dan Jones to do that survey. It takes Dan Jones a month to complete the survey. Then the Deseret News wants to report on it for the next two or three weeks. So they don't release any new data. They're just releasing new stories from that pool of data. Mm. I see. And so for people who are watching the polls right now and sort of trying to see some, you know, indication that McMullen's gaining ground or Lee's, you know, securing a lead or anything like that, it's really the, the news isn't going to be a reliable source for that. There's nothing new. There's nothing new to report. And nobody that I can tell has anything in the field right now to do anything with it. You would think somebody would would start something after the debate to try to gauge the effectiveness there or no? That's a purely academic question, right? So you have to think of like who's going to pay for the poll. So the news organizations have no, maybe, maybe it's worth their time to pay for a poll to see the effect of the debates. But remember, it's going to take them a month. So that means they have to start today. And then in 30 days, which is election day, then they'll find out, did the debate have any effect? Or they could just wait and see what happens in the election. So the people paying for polls are going to be the campaigns. They're going to be special interest groups, PACs that are trying to raise money. Or they're going to be, as they're going to be coordinated with the campaign. You'll get these robocalls that are like, do you agree that Mike Lee's the worst person that's ever lived? Push one. And then the person pushes one and they say, give us $50. It'll be something like that but not a real poll that's trying to find out the answer. And if I were advising the campaigns, if I were advising McMullen and he said, I have five grand that I want to spend on a poll of Utah voters, I would say, put that five grand into voter turnout. That's what you need. You need people voting. You don't need the polls to show anything for you. You need to get those people out to vote. You need to I would pay somebody because Utah's a mail-in voting state and watch the list. You can see who has voted and who hasn't voted. You don't know who they're voting right. for, but I would say every single Democrat in the state of Utah that hasn't voted, I'm paying you money to call them, drive them, whatever it takes to get them to the polls. That's how I would spend right. the money, not on a survey. Right. Do you see polling evolving in some way in the future? Or, I mean, how do you see this playing out for, it, it doesn't necessarily look good for the industry right now, right? You just have to decide what it is you want polling to do. And, and for the last 50 years, polling has been fun as like a betting game, right? It's sort of mm -hmm. like 
will give us the odds that so-and-so is going to win. And then we can watch it like a and decide who's going to win based on the polls. And, and historically polls are really, really good at predicting winners when the margin is like 10%, right? Like I did a poll in Idaho in 2016 and in May, the, the poll that I did in May showed the winner in November of 2016 and it was within two or three percentage points. So like it was something like Idaho polls are awesome at doing that. But if you're trying to figure out Georgia and Pennsylvania and Arizona, these tight races that are within the margin of error and the race is going to end up being determined by mobilization, like looking at polls is just a way to drive yourself crazy, right? To make yourself think you have some sense of what's going to happen when really nobody has any idea what's going to happen, right? It's like, it's like any football game. Before the football game, everybody's got their ideas of who's going to win and how to buy. And then they play the game. A whole lot of people were wrong and a whole lot of people were right. So polls are good for that sort of thing. But hmm. they're not really telling you anything. Like, I'd, I'd say the last eight years, I've looked at polls as a way to try and predict what's going to happen. And you can't. It all It's a turnout game. It's a mobilization game. So so, so the, the use of a survey is if that survey is a random sample of the population of people who actually go vote, then that survey is going to be really, really good. But you don't know what that population is in a competitive race. You know what it is in Idaho when it's not competitive. That's easy to predict because you know who's going to vote. But when it comes down to like which campaign is mobilizing their voters better, you know, there's no way for a survey to be an accurate representation of that population. I know you don't like to pick winners, but people like to hear winners. So if you had to pick a winner in the debate, who is it? I would say McMullen did a better job of accomplishing his goal than Mike Lee did. Mike Lee's a fighter. Mike Lee attacks. Mike Lee scares. And he didn't do a very good job of that. Mm. Would you, would you, uh, do you want to make a prediction on the race? I mean, that, that Dan Jones pull you sent me, that was looking pretty yeah. close. That was like 36, 34 or something, right? Yeah, so if you believe that poll, which is the only poll I would believe right now, uh, Lee gets, what, 37% of the vote? Mm -hmm. Wait, no, no, 42% of the vote, and then 12% undecided? Like, that's bad, right? A month out from an election to be an incumbent, and only 42% are willing to say in a survey that they want to vote for you? That's really bad news. But, so that makes me lean McMullen, but... Mike Lee is one of these Trump guys. And, and in the, the recent past, Utah polls underrepresent those voters. So, so I would say this. If Lee gets 48% of the vote, then he wins. All, I think all he has to do is get 48% of the vote, and that means he wins. Because the rest will – McMullen won't be able to overtake the rest. Mm. So, I, I don't – yeah, predictions are – if I had to predict, I would predict Mike Lee because he's the incumbent. He's a Republican. He's been there for, is it 12 years now? Yeah. I, I, I would have to predict that the, that in the end, the Republican Party machine, whatever it is in Utah, was going to push him over the edge and help him win. But you can tell he's scared. You can tell he's nervous. <laughs> he can see. <laughs> I never thought I'd see the day that Mike Lee was being Romney for help on Fox News. <laughs> like that. <laughs> Well, and this is maybe a little off topic, but I'm curious what you think about McMullen's claim that he's going to caucus with neither party for six years. That seems 
maybe a little bit far-fetched. Okay, yeah, so this is definitely off topic, but I'll tell you, I think that, sure, McMullen, in his heart of hearts, deep down, believes that he will never caucus with another party. But he's never been a senator. And he, he doesn't know the strength of parties in the Senate. So most people don't know this, but, you know, Madison... The, the, in the Federalist Papers talks all about how bad it is to have factions and parties and we shouldn't have them. And then in the first Continental Congress, as soon as he's elected to Congress, he starts organizing a party in Congress. You can't get stuff done without a party. So people think the party as we see it in the electorate is bad. They think all this fighting and bickering that happens in the electorate is bad. Wait till you see what happens behind closed doors in the Senate. You think this partisanship is bad. That partisanship is much worse. And the only thing that Democrats and Republicans agree on is that they hate independence. Bernie Sanders is an independent and he caucuses Democrat. So there's that part. The other part is Evan McMullen will never have a seat on a committee in the Senate as long as he is an independent. So he says in the debate that Utah will be the most powerful state. Possibly. But how powerful are you as a senator if you never get to sit on a committee? You never get to be a process of writing the bills that go through those committees. So he's giving up all of that power in the Senate if he decides to stay independent. And then the last thing is, you I don't know how many people paid attention to this, but Joe Mann votes with the Democrats for this uh, in the Inflation Reduction Act. And as a, as a compromise, Chuck Schumer says to Joe Manchin, we'll have that vote on permitting reform that you care about. Permitting reform that no Democrats like and only Republicans like. And it's like, wow, what a big win for the Republicans that, that Chuck Schumer is going to let them vote on this bill that the Republicans like all because of Joe Manchin. And what do the Republicans do when that finally comes up to a vote? They kill it mm -hmm. because they're so mad at Joe Manchin for breaking promises to them that they're willing to say, we don't care about permitting reform. We just want you to lose so that you're a loser. And then when we win back the Senate, we'll take up whatever we want to take up later on. Well, Joe Manchin had the protection of the Democratic Party when he's pulling those things going back and forth. Now you're Evan McMullen and you're Mr. Free Agent and you work with the Republicans and make all the Democrats mad at you. You're like, well, now I want to work with you Democrats. They're not going to take him in. They're not going to let him work with them. They're going to remember what... They're like petty, angry, upset, hold grudges. And this idea that you can just go back and forth and nobody's going to remember when you hurt them in the past is just foolishness. So I think he really wants to stay independent. But I think it won't take him very long to realize like Madison did, you better pick a side. <laughs> well, great. Thank you very much, Matt. I appreciate it. Sure. Happy to help. Yeah, I guess we'll see you, brother.